0: Welcome to KCBS In Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In Depth. Thank you for joining us on KCBS In Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. The horror of last Wednesday's mass school shooting in Florida continues to be revealed through details from those who survived it and through the funerals and the mourning of family and friends of those who did not. It's all too familiar. We're hearing the same platitudes from some elected leaders. We're hearing the same outrage from others that surfaces after every one of these tragedies. And yet, here we are again. Today, we're going to explore one of the reasons being blamed for the political impasse on curbing America's gun violence, the unlimited and often unidentifiable flow of money into and out of the National Rifle Association, or NRA, and into our political discourse. I'm joined once again on In-Depth by Daniel Newman, president and co-founder of Maplight.org. That's a nonpartisan research organization that tracks money's influence on politics and on our public policy. So, Daniel, explain first how money flows into an organization with huge political power like the NRA. Are these individual donations is it a uh, big super PAC money? Is it dark money? Where does the, the flow begin?
1: So the National Rifle Association is the largest dark money group operating in US politics. They have uh, spent $35 million in the 2016 election to influence the election, and no one knows where the money comes from.
0: We consider NRA a dark money group?
1: Yeah, so when I say dark money, you know what they're spending the money on, but we don't know what the source of it is. It could be corporations such as gun manufacturers. It could be foreign governments. It could be wealthy individuals. It could be small donations or all of those things. But in 2010, this disastrous Supreme Court decision called Citizens United opened up uh, parts of the law that let people spend money on politics without having to reveal their source and that's led to this explosion of what's called dark money is groups like the NRA that spend money to influence our laws and who gets elected but no one except the groups themselves knows who's putting in that money and who's doing that influence. Let me give you another example of another dark money group called the Wellspring Committee. So that we know that the Wellspring Committee is a conservative group because we know that because of how they spend their money. And they spent the $17 million to block the former President Obama's Supreme Court pick and support Donald Trump's nomination of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. So... So to put this in context, Wellspring received $32 million in grants in 2016, and according to their tax return, $28 million of that came from one donor. And we don't know who that donor is because they don't require it to release it, but this is the scale of one entity, one donor, giving $28 million um, spent overwhelmingly to support Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. And Uh, And it really raises a lot of questions about, like, who who wants this judge appointed and um, what billionaire or what industry or what person or what foreign government.
0: That's just such an astronomical amount of money for as you said basically one campaign or one outcome and so can you help put in perspective the kind of money as you mentioned what 35 million going into the nra in one election cycle but compare maybe some the the volume that goes into the nra as you said it was the most powerful uh, influential group in politics compared to say other groups that try to influence legislative votes
1: to the, enter, the largest group that doesn't reveal their donors, like the chamber of U.S. Chamber of Commerce is next, $29 million. There's one called the 45 Committee, uh, which spent $21 million in the last election. And one of the things to know about these, these dark money groups, these secret groups, is like about um, approximately 80% of the secret money spent is spent supporting conservative causes and Republicans. There are some liberal and democratic dark money groups. But the, the, the financial heft in, in dark money is on the conservative side. Now, un- unfortunately, from my point of view, that's led to many Republicans seeing secrecy as a partisan issue. And I see it as it's an American issue, like regardless of your party, like we deserve to know who's influencing our laws, who's influencing our legislators. And I think that some Republicans especially in Congress, see it as in their narrow interest to keep things secret, even though it's terrible for the country.
0: Well, as we continue to talk about the secrecy, then what do we know about how the NRA uses the money that they take in? Um, We can see, as your organization clearly shows us, and folks should go on your website, maplight.org, and easily trace Uh, donations into specific legislators from groups. But do we know how else they spend this money? Are they donating as a dark group to other groups?
1: So they they do spend money on advertisements and communications with their members, essentially advertisements with their members. Um, in, they gave, uh, in 2016, $800,000 to candidates running for federal office, so Congress and the President. Ninety-eight percent of that money went to Republicans, so overwhelmingly a Republican-supported group. And they also contributed $400,000 to uh, state officials. So that's the Republican Governors Association, the Republican State Leadership Committee, and Republican Attorney General's Association. So active at um, the the federal and state level both.
0: Can you explain to listeners, uh, maybe with some examples, of recent votes by legislators who are obviously influenced monetarily by the NRA. And we've had several uh, repeals of Obama era gun uh, safety laws, uh, the silencer issue um, allowing uh, veterans with PTSD and other mental health uh, problems and people with mental health problems not to be on a safety list that they can purchase. I mean, we've seen this repeal going on. Certainly no legislation moving forward to enhance gun safety, even though it's popular with the American people.
1: I'll give you one example of that is in December, the House of Representatives voted on a bill that would allow people with a concealed carry permit to carry guns in a concealed way. If you have it in one state that you could bring your guns to another state. And the members that voted in favor of this law that the NRA wanted received 34 times as much money from uh, NRA and other gun rights groups than lawmakers who oppose the measure, right? So you get, and we find this on issue after issue, is that lawmakers who vote with the the gun lobby and actually other special interest groups too, receive overwhelmingly more money from that interest group. Now, sometimes members actually switch their vote because of the money, but other times members are actually elected because they have certain positions. Like if you think of like a pro, uh, a a candidate who takes stances that the NRA agrees with, they're going to have a lot more money to run their campaign. Even as a candidate, they're more likely to, to get the message out, uh, spend money on advertisements, and they're more likely to get elected. So what these correlations show is that the NRA and other wealthy interest groups are buying seats in Congress, even if people, individual people don't change their votes.
0: And what about the influence? Uh, does the NRA specifically keep its influence to just gun issues. It's
1: hard for me to say, and it's probably hard for anyone to say. I do know that 98% of their money went to Republicans in the 2016 election. I mean, one point you you raised earlier was about how um, how broad support there is for gun control in the, the US and uh, among the population, not so much in Congress. And it, like a Politico poll, for example, from, uh, from last October had 88% of Americans, 88% wanting uh, background checks on all gun sales. So like 88% agreement is more agreement than virtually anything there is in the entire country. And it is so striking to me that despite agreement across party lines, independent, conservative, liberal, about wanting background checks on all gun sales, we are so far from that in the US Congress, which is responsive to the donors instead of being responsive to the voters.
0: And how do you explain the public and voters not reacting to that more strongly? Is it, is it just a numbness with the, that we don't realize the amount of money? I mean, you're seeing these figures every single day as you research and make them available to journalists and the public. But is it just that we've become, as a, as a voting public, so numb to this or just too partisan to care?
1: I think quite the contrary. I don't think people are numb to it whatsoever, and I think they're outraged about it. And it's interestingly, the only other issue in the country that has as broad support as background checks on gun sales is fixing our broken system of money and politics. And that's something that conservatives and liberals and independent voters all agree on that they, they want it fixed. And if you look at the the last presidential campaign, you have uh, Bernie Sanders making um, a tremendous campaign, uh, far beyond what people would have expected, a lot of it on the strength of fixing our broken money and politics system and making government accountable to the people rather than campaign contributors. And uh, President Donald Trump, as a candidate, uh, had similar themes about drain the swamp and uh, and about in lobbyists not affecting Washington. Of course, he hasn't actually done that. It's in office now. But, um, but those themes are, are very deep and very resonant with the public. And I think all it takes now is for political leadership and public officials to stand up and say, we need to get money out of politics. Um, There's a candidate in Wisconsin, for example, Mike McCabe, that is running his campaign only on small donations of $200 or less and has gotten some traction that way. And I think this um, this is the kind of thing that I think we're gonna see more of because the public hunger for change is still there.
0: If you're just tuning in, I'm Jane McMillan on In-Depth, and we're talking about money in politics, specifically the money being dumped into political coffers by the NRA, being used to thwart the progress of gun safety measures. Our expert today is Daniel Newman, president and co-founder of Maplight.org, a nonpartisan research organization that tracks money's influence on politics and public policy. And by going to Maplight.org, you can track it as well. Is it going to take money to beat money, or can we do, as Americans, can we do this simply at the ballot box?
1: Well, it sure can be done at the ballot box. I mean, uh, in Berkeley, California, here in the Bay Area, in 2016, Berkeley passed a law for publicly funded elections. where you can run for office now in Berkeley with only small donations. Every dollar you raise is matched six to one by a city fund and you have to limit all your contributions to $50 or less. So what this means is candidates with grassroots support, people who are leaders in their community, they don't have to be wealthy. They don't have to be connected to real estate developers or special interests or other wealthy interests. And they're able to run campaigns and win without special interest money. And systems like this are already in place in the state of Arizona, in Connecticut, in Maine, um, elsewhere in the country, it just passed in Maryland and Washington D.C. And that's the kind of change. Like, it's not going to come to Congress like this year, but but we can do now here in Bay Area cities or in California and elsewhere in the country to make it so people don't have to depend on special interest money to run and win.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about money flowing into the NRA since we are discussing money in politics after another horrific. Uh, Shooting at a school outside the country money. And this comes into play as we talk about just current headlines with indictments uh, coming down for Russian players from the Mueller investigation and uh, hearing more and more about influence, at least on politics through social media from the Russians. And that there is Russian money and maybe other outside money going into the NRA to sow this continuing discord between Americans. Is is there anything to that Russian money supporting the NRA?
1: So the FBI is reportedly investigating it and the fact is is like we as members of the public we don't know we can't tell because these groups are secret in how they and where they get the money from and, and any source is possible and it's quite likely that foreign money has already been influencing elections through these dark money groups I mean the the context of like the secret money like the 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 Citizens United Supreme Court decision that created these uh, essentially created these dark money groups did not say there has to be secret money, quite the contrary. But the way that decision interacted with existing law created this possibility that uh, you could have secret money in elections, unlimited dark money. So the that, that could be fixed. The Federal Elections Commission could fix it and require disclosure. Congress could pass a law requiring disclosure. So it, we don't need a Supreme Court decision to require disclosure, but we haven't had the political leadership to make this in, the in, make transparent where this money is actually coming from. Now you take what's currently legal and secret money, and you stack that against another law, actually, which says it's illegal for foreign governments to to buy influence in elections. And you, you for example, if you're a if you're a foreign um, someone from a from a country outside the U.S., you can't legally donate to political candidates. But yet, because of these dark money groups that now exist because of Citizens United, foreign influence is going into elections. So you have these two contradictory areas of the law that it's not legal for foreign agents to influence elections, yet it is happening because of the existence of secrecy in these dark money groups.
0: And we're talking not just about hacking into voting machines, we're talking about influencing the opinion uh, of American voters through social media, through fake news. And now, maplight.org, you've started to do some additional work on this, Yes.
1: We have so so looking at this broad issue of manipulation of public opinion, and it's it's all related to a lack of transparency. So so it's now known that um, that agencies of the Russian government um, published information on social media of uh, divine, designed to divide American society, and some of this was pro-Trump information. Some of it was uh, more from a liberal bent, like supporting Black Lives Matter. Um, type of type of posts on facebook and and even going to the extent of organizing rallies on both sides of the same divisive issue like on all on facebook by the russian government so this this large scale uh largely successful i would see attack in sense of uh, making people question democracy like can we really talk to each other um, and so the, the divisions that you hear so much about in the country, like, have actually been fanned by sort of the design of social media and also this, this Russian influence. And we're not actually as divided as we seem.
0: What's MapLite's uh, work in this area? Is it just as difficult for you to figure out the flow of outside money, Russian money or uh, foreign money into a private company like a Facebook or a Google? Or how, how are you working with this?
1: MapLite is uh, helping make the recommendations that government and social media companies need to put into effect so that people can have confidence in the information that they're seeing. If you run a political ad on television, there are certain rules about what it has to say in the ad and who's funding it. But on social media, there there are no such rules or not being not being enforced by the FEC. And so that's the kind of thing, it's like, well, what should ads on social media say? Should it, it, they obviously should identify who, who they're from, so you can evaluate, like, is this from, like, a regular person is this from an agent of the russian government is this from a corporation is this from a political campaign and some basic transparency would go a long way to help minimize misinformation because if you get some information and you know the source you're obviously going to evaluate that quite differently than if you don't know who it's from
0: well how would that work though because we're st- even on television and radio ads you know these groups come up with these nebulous names and we still don't know who's really funding these political uh, ads, so how would that work? Wouldn't it be the same problem on social media?
1: So there has been there, there has been progress in, in addressing that, like the California Disclose Act, which uh, was just signed into law last year, would make it harder to have these kind of front groups where you don't know um, the ultimate source of the funds. And then there's proposals at all levels of government, including federally, so that you would have to disclose the true source of funds. I think it's really it's a matter of, of political will and uh, citizens standing up for uh, for what they want and for representatives who say we need transparency and all this information because the fact is like they're, they're given the the groups of having dark money and secret money like we're a long way of getting from getting um, full transparency and that's totally because of bo- political will and up to now the Republicans who see it as partisan issue in their favor.
0: How should citizens? help with this push for transparency, especially uh, social media. I mean, we, we've talked, you and I, and uh, we've had you on KCBS a lot, talking about the, the need to reverse Citizens United, to push for campaign finance transparency uh, and public campaign finance. But when we get into this area of fake news, uh, the First Amendment, and social media companies, which is where a lot of people, including young people, are consuming information, how do they know how to help put pressure uh, to to make this change?
1: Well, I, I think that there's so much um, concern in this country and motivation for action that, you know, one doesn't have to, to be involved in every issue. I would say, like, join a group like Common Cause or Every Voice that's actually working to change the problem. And there's there's actually here in the Bay Area, there's there's things going on that people can get involved with in their town. I mean, certainly you can write to your lawmakers, or you can join group um, join groups that are putting pressure on lawmakers um, to to uh, to fix these problems. I think that lawmakers really need to know that, like this money and politics and corruption issues. is something that people care about, and that will make them prioritize it. But I know that t- saying contact your lawmaker is like a lot of groups saying it is really important. Um, I-, I think there's a l- it's a lot more satisfying to get involved with like actual people in a real live way that are doing something in your community, and, and groups like Every Voice and Common Cause and, and many others are good for that.
0: Do you have a special uh, spot on your website on maplight.org? Uh, that folks can go to to see your work specifically on this social media issue, transparency?
1: Yeah, they go to, to maplight.org and click news, and it has um, on all our topics, including the social media that we're working on. And you can also drop me a note through the through the website, and I'd be happy to put your listeners in touch with that topic or any others you're interested in.
0: That's maplight.org, and you're going to look for the president and co-founder, Daniel Newman. I think the takeaway from you is that people do have power still regardless of the money
1: they do and that the power comes from how unified the population is on this issue again you know the the two issues that have the most Support among the American public, very broadly, are requiring background checks on gun sales at 88 percent, and similar numbers for fixing our money and politics system. And we we need to fix money and politics system to make real progress on the gun sales issue, but also so many other issues that affect us as well.
0: Daniel Newman, president and co-founder of Maplight.org, a nonpartisan nonprofit research organization tracking money's influence on politics and public policy. My thanks to him. The influence of money on politics and gun policy has stymied public health studies of gun violence as well, something the medical community is pushing back against. To explain that part of the issue, here's a portion of my discussion with UCSF's Dr. Andrew Bindman. This was following the Las Vegas shooting that left 58 people dead, 422 injured by gunfire, the worst mass shooting in U.S. history, and that was just four months ago. Dr. Bindman is professor of medicine, a researcher, medical practitioner at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, and he's part of the Philip R. Lee Institute for Health Policy Studies. Let's begin, doctor, with what all the major medical organizations are calling a serious public health crisis, and that's gun violence. Sadly, a long, brutal line of horrific mass shootings in this country. So, you know, instead of talking about gun violence in political terms, If you could help us see this epidemic of gun violence in public health terms, why the medical community is framing it this way, why we should see it this way, and if that might give us a path forward in actually addressing it.
2: Sure. Well, as a doctor, our job is to try to find ways to keep people safe uh, from all kinds of things that could endanger their lives. And so, Uh, guns is just another example of something that uh, is bad for one's health. And so I think that's how doctors see it. Doctors see it in the uh, activity in emergency departments and hospitals. We see the tremendous toll that gun violence takes in this country. Uh, I believe on an annual basis now, uh, about 30 to 35,000 people a year die from gun violence. And the number of people who are affected by it and survive gun violence is about three times as high. So it's an enormous number of people who are affected. Uh, There was just a recent study... Uh, published in Health Affairs that estimated that uh, it's probably in the vicinity of about $3 billion with a B in uh, health care costs on an annual basis related uh, to gun violence, never mind all the costs associated with lost work and other kinds of things that come with it. So it does have a very heavy impact on the health care system. What's different about it than other public health emergencies, if you will, is that if you look at the other leading causes of death, and gun violence is really among them, it's one of the leading causes of, uh, of, of injuries, and yet the research associated with gun violence is so much less than what exists for other things that are harmful to to humans. And that's because there is basically an amendment going back to Congress in the 1990s where they basically restricted the CDC and the NIH using their research dollars to explore uh, the epidemic and understanding what strategies could be undertaken to reduce um, the harms that can come uh, w- with guns. And so our knowledge is not even growing at the uh, rate that it would for other conditions of a similar size in, in our uh, country. So we kind of have one arm tied behind our back as a medical community in terms of understanding the impact of gun violence and also studying strategies that can really work. I mean, there is a lot of political rhetoric, I think, as you reference, about. We should do this policy or that policy, and um, I think there's a lot of rational ideas out there. But the truth is, we don't have a lot of the evidence about what policies would be most successful uh, to really try to uh, limit the harms. And, you know, it would be, I think, really valuable to have our research enterprise in the same way it does for other health conditions that cause this level of morbidity and mortality, to be studying the issue and trying to learn about um, what policies we could put in place that would, in fact, make it safer and i think the medical community is just saying don't put us on the sidelines by not allowing us to talk to patients about this to not allow us to get research to to study this to be part of a solution
0: the uh, medical community and these organizations uh, that i mentioned including the ama have just basically come out and said to congress get rid of automatic and some automatic weapons lift the gag rule because in some states you as a doctor would not be allowed to ask a patient, uh, especially involving a child, if there are guns in the house. And then, as you mentioned, uh, the funding bill with that rider was attached that the CDC and the NIH could not even research gun violence and gun death. So, politics is, is at the root of those limitations of your profession that, as you said, has hamstrung us even knowing more about this issue in the country.
2: That's right. I mean, you know, when a uh, a pediatrician, for example, speaks to a parent and assesses the risks of, about um, their home to try to help a parent understand what are the possibilities of accidents or injuries that could come up for, for their child, um, you know, another very common area, for example, is uh accidents that happen in swimming pools and drownings and things like that. So it's very important for that pediatrician to understand the home environment and to be able to explain to the parent about what it means to what safe practices look like and so forth and to reinforce uh, safe practices. Well, in the same way, it wouldn't make sense not to be able to ask a parent whether they have a swimming pool at home, to not be able to ask them whether they have a handgun, uh, not to be able to lecture them about whether they should or should not have that, but mostly to make sure that the, the medical Community can communicate with those parents about, you know, this is the reality about um, how children are able to find things and um, and could accidentally think it's a toy and and shoot themselves and so forth. And to and that kind of education could be extremely important in at least safeguarding uh, children from uh, you know inadvertent risks uh, related to, to the handguns. And unfortunately, those kinds of deaths happen uh, all too frequently in the, in this country. So there's just many Many issues like that where we're not making use, we're sort of forcing ourselves to be like an ostrich and to bury our head around this issue rather than taking advantage of the science that the medical community could offer to at least try to find some ways of reducing um, the the harms associated uh, with guns in the United States.
0: Dr. Andrew Bindman, professor of medicine and a researcher at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. And earlier, again, my thanks to Daniel Newman, president and co-founder of maplight.org. We will continue to talk about gun violence in America. I'm Jane McMillan. Thank you for listening. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. And now available for download at kcbs.com. For all news, 740 and FM 106.9.